Good to go? We are good to go. Anybody need any warm-up? Anybody need a last-minute bathroom run? Anybody did that? Anybody need to uh, unburden themselves of some deep emotional trauma before we begin so that you sound better? I might need to look at my past a little bit for something that happened in my childhood. Oh, that's a good question, actually. What comes back to haunt us individually? Hey everybody, welcome to the Real DMC Podcast. Actually, today it is the DMJ, no, I'm sorry, the DCJ Podcast. So it's Dave, Colin, and we are joined by Jamie. Uh, Marcus is on assignment in Southern California, and we'll get back to the podcast at some point in the future. Oh, what he's on assignment doing, I don't know, but he's unavailable today. So, Jamie, uh, thank you for joining us today. No problem. And, uh, you know, Marcus, I'm coming for you, okay? Your high-priced job, it could be mine. Today, we are here to talk about Joel Schumacher's 1990, interesting, uh, with sort of a time capsule film, Flatliners. Today's a good day to die. Flatline. 30 seconds to go. Can you recall any specific emotion or sensation? No, but there is something out there. We're running out of time. 300, clear. Nothing. You're hot, go again. Clear. Nothing, I can't hear anything. Come on, Nelson. Breathe. We lost him. No! We've experienced death. Now somehow we brought our sins back physically. They're past. Flatliners. Some lines shouldn't be crossed. I'm sorry, did you actually call it interesting? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting from a, you know, watching Schumacher develop as a filmmaker. And also there's a lot of lingering MTV that shows up in this movie. As MTV started dying off and, you know, videos were coming, becoming less of a thing. I think uh, this, this to me is a last gas film version of videos. And that makes sense because Joel Schumacher, the director, was obviously a very active uh, video director back in the day. Yeah, I just wish there was some music to go along with this movie because it would have been a lot better. Well, there was lots of music. What do you mean? I mean, like some rock music. So it looked more like a video because as a film, it failed. The one uh, song by uh, Dave Stewart and the Spiritual Cowboys, Party Time, that didn't do it for you? <laughs> no. The big Halloween sequence? Oh my God. It was Lost Boys Part 2. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a huge bonfire in the middle, like right on the steps of the medical school. <laughs> um, <laughs> with a, a lot of people dancing around in, in pretty, pretty... Elaborate. Like, elaborate yeah. and... Um, mm-hmm. Confusing. Uh, yeah. Uh, costumes. WTF? My favorite costume was, was the combination of skull and large fake breasts. That was interesting. I'm not sure what the character was supposed to be, but it was a fascinating look. I think mine was a weird pumpkin head. It was pretty ornate. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, there were a couple of pumpkin heads riding on bicycles, I think, as part of this, right? Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Schumacher should have paid more attention to the script than to the Halloween party. Well, how about we start with just your history with the film? So, you know, had you seen this before? And if so, when was the last time you saw it? Colin? I saw it in 1990 when it came out, and I completely put it out of my mind for the next 30 years until 11 a.m. this morning. Okay. All right. How about you, Jamie? (laughs) My answer is exactly the same, except for replace today with yesterday. Well, I think we're all on the same page here then, because I recall seeing this, I think, exactly once, maybe back in 1990. Maybe I saw it again at some point. I'm sure I did, maybe in the early 90s, but... No, this was uh, it was an interesting rewatch, and it was uh, again a bit of a time capsule in terms of going back in and seeing this group of actors where they were in the course of their career, and uh, of course the just sort of the the overt stylized. If you like steam, just and I mean steam, I don't mean steam as in like you know like heat and you know eroticism. I mean actual steam, like steam coming out of the ground and coming out of grates. Steam's coming out of everywhere. I would say this movie is maybe 40% steam. Like, or there's steam on screen at least 40% of the time. And then the <laughs> other 60%, there's smoke from all of the little uh, autumnal uh, leaf fires that are going off everywhere. And usually the, the color palette is either uh, orange slash red or blue. So there's a lot of that as well. Yeah, and dark. Yeah, it's it's a music video, only it was two hours instead it's of 151 two minutes. minute music video. Okay, well, maybe we can uh, start with just so general, you know, overall plot of the movie in case somebody's not familiar with it. A group of five medical students decide that they are going to purposefully put themselves in a brain dead state and then resurrect themselves so that they can test what is, you know, what is beyond death. And those five medical students are played by Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon. William Baldwin, and Oliver Platt. 
I, and I, I just want to be clear that yeah. um, these are not five PhD medical researchers with years and years of experience under their belt. These are first year medical students. Are they first year medical students? I don't know if it was ever, well, was ever stated like what year they were in. It, they did not. However, they, they are taking gross anatomy. Um, so I'm just assuming. Every medical class that they have involves a cadaver in this when, they're, when they do when they are going to school. And, and, the, and the, apparently the main focus of the class is to cut open the body and then just point at things. What is that? What is that? What is that? Maybe that's gross anatomy. I don't know. I've never taken that's it. That's gross but... anatomy. That's, is that's it? it? Okay. Yeah, you know. yeah, that's it. Although I'd like to know what medical school they're going to because apparently it's, it's both a medical program and an art history program. A gothic art history specifically, yeah. I believe, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know why they're, they're dissecting human bodies in the middle of a museum, but okay. Because it looks cool? Uh, yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was his overall take. Schumacher's take was like, well, it kind of looks cool. So let's go for it. I think I'd rather watch Gross Anatomy with uh, the movie with Matthew Modine than, than watch this. And Daphne Zuniga came out, I believe, the same year, filmed at USC. Well, okay. How about um, just in terms of Joel Schumacher as the director? Are you guys a fan of his movies? I am perplexed. I'm a love-hate. Every John Grisham one that he did, and I, I can't remember how many he's done, at least two, if not more. He did A Time to Kill, and what was, what was the other one that he did? I think he did The Client as well. Oh, okay. I don't know. You can check me on that, but A Time to Kill, I loved. Um, so I think when he has a story, he's great. The stylized, non-story stuff, I'm not a fan of, so I, I end up either loving it or hating it, and... This, I, I hate it. Just, it's all that. It's all style substance. There's no substance, I should say. It's all style. And Kiefer, either in a press junket or at some time in his life, referred to um, this as St. Elmo's funeral. Yeah. Which, which I thought was apropos. I was like totally trying to come up with an analogy for St. Elmo's fire. So I'm really glad you brought that up because I got a little St. Elmo's Fire vibe. I think I saw a quote that he also called it, um, the, the, was it The Breakfast Club Dies? I right, that was exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Colin, with uh, your Schumacher? There's a couple Schumacher films I sort of like, and I think the rest I'm, I'm really just out on. I really liked Tigerland you know, with Colin Farrell. He sort of came back after a lot of films that I didn't like. So that was sort of surprising. But, you know, I mean, look, everyone, this is probably one of my favorite movies of all time was 1997's Batman and Robin. I mean, oh, it's geez. just by far the best Batman movie. Oh, wait a minute. No, I got I hated that movie. It was so goddamn awful. Probably the That's... worst movie I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I really don't like Joel Schumacher. Really? No, seriously, like Tigerland was the only movie that I liked. He did the Lost Boys. I mean, Lost Boys is good. No, I, no, I, I didn't really like that, mu that really? much either. Yeah, no. Okay. I got to go watch it again. I didn't watch it when we did the 1987 year in review. I probably should. No, I'm just like looking down the list. I just, there's not a whole lot of films here that I, I say like, oh yeah, I love that. I did watch 8mm again. I don't know why, but I was sort of <laughs> curious. And well, you know what? I kind of liked it. I remember thinking 8mm was a good movie. I don't, I don't know if it was like something that you really want to sit with, but in terms of you know how it was made and all that, it's like, yeah, it was, it was a good movie. I mean, put together well. I'm going to say Tigerland and then 8mm and then the rest can just die in a fire. I, you know, I, my personal take on it is I, I, he's, he's very sort of schizophrenic as a filmmaker in terms of like how I personally respond to his movies. So I, I like a few of them, like you said, Tigerland. Um, I do like The Lost Boys. I think that's pretty good. I think some of the stylistic stuff that he does is fun, but of course he also made St. Almost Fire, which is for me personally, like one of the worst movies ever made. Like I, I hate that movie. I just, I think that it's, it's douchebags on parade, right? That's what that movie is. We're all going through this. It's our time on the edge. I'm just so tired, Billy. So there are two Schumacher characteristics that show up in this movie. So the first one is Kiefer Sutherland has a kick-ass apartment in this. Do you remember in St. Elmo's Fire, everybody just got out of college and they had these like 3,000 square foot apartments that were gorgeous and they were, you know, intricately decorated and all that kind of stuff. Kiefer Sutherland, I don't know if he comes from money or anything like that, but his apartment is, is pretty yeah. kick-ass, I oh, have to yeah. say. 
He, I believe, was living in a museum, is what it appeared to be. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's a pretty nice, pretty nice place. And the other thing is, they they of course have the like after after Kiefer ends up uh, like going for his first test, you know, they have the moment where like all of a sudden they come out like they're having a party and they're walking down the street together and they got their arms around each other and all that. And it's, it's kind of straight out of Saint Almost Fire. There's a lot of similarities, I think. Um, Saint Almost Fire was made in '85. Batman Forever was made in '95. This movie is like right down the middle of actually taking characteristics from both those movies and combining it. Like if you actually like, it makes perfect sense in a five-year progression. Like this is the right place for him to stop in terms of what he would produce. Do you remember? Well, first of all, you, you know, you talked about the colors in this film. There's like a lot of the blue and red sort of uh, neon lights, yeah. especially. Uh, in that that first scene where Nelson Kiefer Sutherland's character had come out of um, after dying and he'd been resuscitated and they're sitting outside. I don't know why a Chinese grocery store in the middle of Chicago. I don't know why they drove there to get snacks, but okay, that's another question. And then he's in the 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 alleyway and the, the alleyway sort of comes alive with the the light and all the graffiti and stuff. And it totally reminded me of that awful scene. I think it's in Batman and Robin. Maybe it's in Batman Forever, where they're like Batman has to save someone from like a gang of uh, graffiti artists, and it's all very neon. And, yeah. and there's a lot of do you do you remember that scene? I can I complete I know exactly what you're talking about because that's I had okay. you know <laughs> not having seen Flatliners in so long, and that scene came up, and I'm like, holy shit, this feels like Batman, like one of those Batman movies. It's exactly what I was thinking. It, it feels like all the garish colors that you know when he was doing actually. Probably both Batman Forever, but far worse in Batman and Robin. I think that was where was a Batwoman was going to go ride the motorcycle or something. Like his his version of what a gang is, like like the you know the 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 evil doers. It's it looks like you know it it looks like somebody is taking like trying to take the was all the people that are in Broadway on Escape from New York, but then making them into real cheeseball versions of those people because it's like it's like ooh that person has a leather jacket that person's wearing sunglasses at night is that woman wearing a bra on outside of her you know body without a shirt <gasps> they're scary it's, yes it's just like... and they talk they talk to themselves so she must be scary yeah 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 there's some there's some interesting choices in this <laughs> he's got a certain like i i have to give him for you know trying and and make it a swing artistically and go hey this is my style and this is kind of what i'm going for i just don't know that the world that he created it doesn't come through in a movie sense because i'm I just don't believe any of it because on a street and there's there's no one around it's just kefir and steam right. uh, yeah. in that same scene that you talk about in that convenience store there's no one in there it's just them you didn't even see a shopkeeper or anything. Yeah, this whole movie, they actually they didn't want to pay for a lot of extras anywhere, now that I think about There's it. There's no extras anywhere. It's yeah. really weird. And the, just that blue, red, steam, no one around, that world that he created, I just, just none of it is going to be believable. And I think that's one of the reasons it doesn't work for me. I will say I think it's a great concept for a movie. It's, it is an interesting, it's, it's definitely an interesting concept. And, you know, it's kind of along the lines of the, you know, the brainstorm and some of that kind of stuff, right? I don't know that it's particularly greatly executed here, but I do think it's an interesting concept. Wouldn't you agree? I, I disagree. You don't think it's an interesting I, concept? Finding out what, what happens, right. you know, when you die? Okay. It's an interesting concept, yes. The execution totally failed because what happens when you die? Apparently, you bring back... You, when you die and then come back to life... Apparently, you bring back your sins with you and you have to make atonement. Is that basically what we're going for here? Is that your interpretation of it? You want to talk about the mythology now? Because I think that's the movie's biggest failing. Is I think the mythology is not consistent between you know the, the actions based on each of them going under and what happens afterwards. And it's also wildly disproportional, I think. So... I mean, let's let's talk about it. Let's do that. So four of them go under, right? So the first one is Kiefer Sutherland. What he brings back with him is when he was a kid, he was involved in bullying another kid and chasing him up a tree. And and he I think he was nine years old at the time, right? And he threw a rock at the kid in the tree. The kid falls out of the tree. This is all revealed at the end of the movie. So we're just going to kind of step all over the plot, which is fine. Spoiler. So that kid comes back, and because he died by result of you know Kiefer, his character's name is Nelson, his actions. Now he suddenly has the ability to f he appears physically in the world, right? So he's physically there in the world, and he is 
like taking a hockey stick and just beating the shit out of Kiefer Sutherland. I will say that Kiefer Sutherland gets a good thrashing over the course of the second half of this movie, for sure. You watch him kind of kind of degrade. And I'm all in. Anytime there's like a nine-year-old kicking the ass of an adult, I'm there. I, I do like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what the kid looks like a little bit when you when you first see him is uh, he looks like a young Liv Tyler. <laughs> That's what he looks like when you, when you when they zoom in on his face. In the subway. No, he's got those. He's got these black eyes, and he looks like a very young John Hurt. Hmm. Okay. So basically, what what they're implying is that you know, so Nelson Nelson cheated death, but as a nine year old, his act was so egregious that he basically has to pay for his life, right? So that, so Bill, this kid Billy Mahoney comes back and just starts beating the shit out of him, right? So that's that's Nelson's deal. So Kevin Bacon he goes under. Apparently, the worst thing that he's ever done is he teased a girl on a playground when he was how old was he? Probably like at that point, eight or nine, maybe something like that. Yeah, he said, yeah. Eight or nine. Yeah, so he gets on a train, and she shows up and starts basically taunting him back. Oh, another great part, by the way. And yeah. Anytime you have a kid kick, kicking ass is great, and then yeah. anytime you have a kid swearing like that uh, is good. I wrote down the term bird, turd, limp dick. Yeah, there was, I was going to say, she, she does have a great string <laughs> of profanity. The, the, yeah. The, the, the string of profanity she throws out there is, pre, is pretty effective. Do I know you? You don't know jack shit. Bird white, needle dick. Cog bite, jug off, limp wrist, coral hole, banana breath, shit bird, bird turn, turn face, kiss ass, brown nose, macho whip, limp dick, bark face, turn merchant, what's the matter gonna cry? Come to cry, baby, Davy. Cry, 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 shit face, rat turn ass, licking son of a bitch. But, but what I think is, is really odd about that when he was dead, right? He did not see her at all. So Nelson actually experiences that original incident when he was eight or nine years old with uh, Billy Mahoney. Kevin Bacon, as far as I recall, does not. In fact, his near-death experience is that he has to, re- unfortunately, rewatch the first half of the movie. and then But then he's like soaring over these... Um, you know, snow-topped mountain. He's in a he's in a he's in a Warren Miller ski film for the first like thirty seconds or so, basically. Now, I, I actually I thought he was we were going to end up like in the mines of Moria, and uh, it, was, it was very similar to the opening shot of uh, the Two Towers. Nowhere do we actually see uh, what's her name, uh, Winnie Winnie Hicks. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, so right. We don't see that when he's under. She just shows up later. His big sin is that he teased somebody when he was a kid. Okay, so then, and you know, that's so again, I'm trying to think of the proportionally like the point of comparison, right? Then the third one is so William Baldwin plays Joe Hurley, and he is engaged, but of course, he's been spending uh, his time during his engagement having sex with all these women, and he's been filming himself doing this because he wants to maintain a library of his sex escapades as he's heading towards being married. By the way, I just want to, I just want to interject here, you know, he, yeah, he, he has this library of, uh, of, of videotapes, right? The names of the women that he's taped having sex with are Jackie, Kathy, Mona, Donna, Brenda, Jane, Veronica, Charlene, Shirley, and Paula. And I just want to know, was he banging all of his mother's friends? (laughs) Because of the name choices you made? Or the Golden Girls cast? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Shirley? Really? Paula? I think he wasn't doing it for the women. When you look as as handsome as he is, then you know what? Let's just tape myself having sex. And that's why he was like looking back into the camera when he was having sex with the women. Because he was like, God damn, I look good. You know that he was out there wrecking 62-year-old Shirley? Just tearing it up? (laughs) No. Why not? Mona. So that's his big sin. He's He's been taping these women without their knowledge. He ends up his he comes to atonement by the fact that his fiance shows up and finds the tapes and busts him i know ultimately he gets off kind of easy i think his by the way his when he goes under he has this kind of a was it erotic clip show because what you see is you see various women uh, and, and by the way it also starts it shows like his mom i think it starts with like his mom well it starts off with him being like birth it's like rebirth right he's going through the the birth canal and he comes out and then i guess like basically all these women were very much focused on him as he was growing up. I'm sort of surprised that in his near-death experience, they didn't show him like actually nursing. But you know, whatever. <laughs> I guess I guess Joel Schumacher decided to draw the line at somewhere. Well, I think you're supposed to. It's supposed to maybe show his the evolution of his interaction with women. Is that, what, that ultimately what it's going for there? 
I think so. Yeah. But apparently it, it turns out that he just likes to um, look at a lot of breasts. So yeah, and then Julia Roberts, so she is, she plays somebody who's ultra skittish, who's basically, who's manhandled quite a bit in this movie, which we should talk about at some point, but, um, and, and everybody does lots of inappropriate things to her, but she is dealing with the fact that when she was five, she walked in on her dad, who was a former vet, and he came back and he was using heroin, and he ran out of the house because he was embarrassed about being caught, and then he shot himself in the head, and she feels responsible for that. By the way, she partially feels responsible because her mom basically spins and grabs a five-year-old girl and yells in her face, it's your fault. So that's some high-quality parenting there. <laughs> Not, no one's going to have any residual issues after that. Yeah, way to go, mom. Yeah. Right, high-quality parenting and script writing right there. It's like, how do we show that it's believable that this little girl would think that somehow it's her fault that her dad shot himself? So her character has been on this course throughout the film to try and understand death more. So you see her talking to people that are have gone through uh, near-death experiences, and she's talking to an old lady in the hospital, which at some point we need to circle back on because her I don't know what she's thinking in terms of how she's going to stop her from dying, but that's kind of a goofy moment. What's interesting is her resolution is a happy one, right? So she ends up closing the loop with her dad, and it's her dad who apologizes to her. So my question is, did Julia Roberts never do anything, or I'm sorry, did Dr. Rachel Manis never do anything bad to anybody over the course of her lifetime? Why does she get a good thing and, and the three guys get a bad thing? Well, Kevin Bacon kind of resolves his issue, though. I mean, his character, I mean... He resolves his issue, but if the three men are, all have to deal with the fact that they have to make atonement for something that was bad that happened, right? She yeah. is given the opportunity to find closure and it ends up being a great experience with her dad. So I'm just trying to understand like why, you know, imagine like, didn't she, when she was a kid, didn't she fuck over somebody at one point in time or say something bad or throw an eraser at somebody? You know, something that's actually requiring her to deal with the uh, ramifications of her sins? Maybe it's about perceived sin. Like she thought her sin was that she caused her father's death. But in fact, she finds out that she didn't. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> How do you explain this? It doesn't make sense. And, and the other thing that doesn't make sense is, you know, again, Billy Mahoney can appear anywhere. But, and all the scenes, by the way, of the kid whapping on Kiefer Sutherland are pretty fun. They, you know, they're, they're entertaining for sure. So at one point during the movie, Kiefer Sutherland's character puts down a, a sheet on the floor because he's trying to figure out if he's hallucinating all this or not. And he actually sees physical imprints of this kid's shoes walking across it. So it means that he there is a real physical presence. But there's not. I'm just trying to understand, man. I'm trying to understand. That's a, I think that's just a hallucination because it's it's clearly not when he was getting his ass kicked in the back of the truck. Right. And then um, Kevin Bacon runs up. He sees him rolling around with a, uh, a pickaxe, but there's no kid there. It's like, so it's just all in his mind, really. Is this just more layers upon layers of why this movie doesn't really work? Because... Also, you know, when, when when Kevin Bacon runs up to the to his truck and the door's locked and he like smashes the window in, I'm thinking like why don't you just go around to the back because it just has this like cloth opening like <laughs> just jumped in the back, right? I mean, it would have been yeah. faster to get to Nelson too, actually. So it's, it was his truck, right, too, so he would yeah. know it. And yeah. it was oh. some kind of army surplus truck that you drive, by the way, I know. too. <laughs> it's like, well, hey, this is the guy who likes to uh, repel from his own third story apartment window. That's just fucking ridiculous. Can we actually, can we, can we jump to that? Can we start going through this and just call out a few things that we like along the way? Before we get to the repelling, this to me has one of the all-time in-your-face moments in announcing a movie title, right? Because it's this big kind of sweeping shot, you know, like coming across and then it, it comes up on, uh, you know, I'm not sure what it is, some sort of like a statues, statues. Yeah. and then the score when it cuts in, when it shows the movie's title and I, you know, I had headphones on when I was watching this, it almost like knocks you out of your chair. It's, bah! it's really, really loud. It really, really wants to make an impression when it shows you the title. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this movie takes itself way too serious. I was going to say, it felt, it felt way up its ass immediately because the other thing was when you know you have the moment of Kiefer Sutherland dramatically walking out and staring at the rising sun and saying... Today's a good day to die. He actually looked almost like he was uh, he was David from the Lost Boys. Like somehow, there's, there's very, many moments in here where he becomes that character. Like he looks a lot like David from the Lost Boys in his vampire character. <laughs> there's a lot of crossover I, there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So they go through each of the characters, right, and kind of what they're doing. The opening scene with Kevin Bacon's character is that he 
you know, he risks his his career as a in medicine to save somebody by performing unauthorized his, surgery. His career in medicine, his, yeah. his his first year in medical school, he decides he's going to do surgery. But you know what? But so the thing is, they're wheeling they're wheeling a patient through the doors of of this quote unquote hospital. I don't know where this place is. There's neon not, on the doors. Why why is there weird. neon on the doors? Like someone explain that to me. It's like all of a sudden they're the hospital is taking place in that. You remember that video, Total Eclipse of the Heart. That, you know, that's, uh, yes. it's, it's the, that's the, if the hospital existed in that video, that would be this hospital. Why are, why are the doors neon? Anybody? Anything? No idea. But the same thing happens throughout, uh, later on Julia Roberts's character, she's in the bathroom after she's gone under and she's looking in the mirror and the, on the mirror is some kind of weird blue light. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, what is going on? That kind of stuff just continually took me like out of the movie here i am in my two minute music video again joel actually i i I, now i really i'd love to go to this medical school it's both medical school and gothic art his like art museum and also um pretty sweet disco (laughs) like a disco club i mean that's basically what this is right those are probably all elements uh, that i believe you probably are walking away with what schumacher wanted you to take away from the film stylistically yeah yeah good halloween good time Good yeah. Time on yeah. During yeah. during the day, they they hold medical school classes, and at night they hold raves. Raves, yeah, that makes sense. So after David does the surgery and gets kicked out, he's leaving in a frustrated you know moment. He's like, he may not come back. Blah blah blah. He decides to rappel out of the window down to his truck. Why does he do that? <laughs> we don't know. Schumacher, I guess. I don't know. He and the thing is, like, he gets kicked out for doing the surgery. His character later on is like the one that they all go to for help. He goes under and he is better. You know, he finds the girl well, that he teases and then he gets some kind of resolution on that. But like also Kiefer is like going to him and he's like, I need you, like stay with me. Yeah, he's the smartest student. He's the, he's like the smartest medical student there, right? But he's got a total, I don't give a fuck attitude. They can suspend me. I'm just going to go climb mountains, you know, because that's my other passion is mountain climbing. They're, they're, I don't know. Is he, he's just supposed to be like the really smart, cool guy. I wish Marcus was here, by the way, because he could give us the information on what kind of truck that was, what kind of truck David was driving. It's a weird looking truck to have around, you know, just kind of casually driving. It's not a good sign of a movie if I'm just staring at Kevin Bacon's hair going, hmm. That's some great hair. Look at that hair. Look at the, how many. <laughs> I'm, I, if I shared my screen right now, I have a bullet point on my notes that says Kevin Bacon has great hair. <laughs> right. Maybe it's the two bald guys that are like, oh, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm coveting the hair. <laughs> it's not just the two bald guys because uh, uh, I have a bullet point here. Who has better hair, Julia Roberts or Kevin Bacon? Oh, it's oh, Kevin Bacon, Bacon, dude. It's not even close. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Bacon. That's I mean, that's that's some high quality hair there. That has to be in the you know, the hair the hair hall of fame. It's up there. At least it's considered. I just like how Julia Roberts has these just big, long, like red red curls. Her hair's like completely down um, while she's studying the insides of uh, human beings. Yeah. It's just a little like maybe put your hair up. Another just mine, just like Joel Schumacher. Why are you you twisting my head like this? Is I think we would agree that those actors, the main five, maybe besides Billy Baldwin, um, you know, is I'm sure handsome if I was into that. They're all really good actors. I mean, this is a solid cast and it's, how could this not work? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, overall, I don't, I don't think this is a bad movie. I, I don't think it's a good movie, but it's, it's certainly not a train wreck because I think it's at least interesting to watch. And I, I do think that the actors are fun to watch. Uh, again, I'm never, I'm, I'm unlikely to revisit this anytime in the future, but I'm close to train. I'm close to train wreck. I really? Okay. Well, yeah. Well, I, I agree. Well, let's talk about it I as agree. we go. Yeah, I, I, then I liked it better than you guys did because I think this whole idea of that you bring something back with you after a near death experience is absolutely ridiculous. Not just the the idea of it, but the implementation of it. Was I supposed to be scared and creeped out by Billy Mahoney or? any of the things that were that were going on because good wasn't. point good point were you scared at any time did you think that any no. of them would die no no in fact i was you know nelson was being a prick so i was kind of <laughs> happy that he was getting his, his ass kicked yeah it made no sense and what it made even less sense was the fact that this apparently has never happened to anyone who's actually experienced a real 
uh, a real near-death experience. People, she's, you know, Julie Roberts is interviewing these patients who had been dead for, you know, anywhere from like two to four minutes. Nothing bad happened to them. So what's going on here? I, d- I did see my neighbor, though. He had a near, near-death experience. He was just out standing in his front yard punching himself in his face. So maybe he was experiencing something along those lines. <laughs> when when near-death experiences you, tur- turn into fight club. Yeah. I'm just thinking back to that cast, though, too. Not to beat a dead horse, but Julia Roberts on the verge of becoming the biggest star on the planet. I didn't really care about her character. Kiefer, I, I freaking love that guy. And I was like, whatever. Bacon. No one better than Bacon. I love him. But right. uh, it's like, uh I, I have to agree with you, Jamie, because... And then you get a completely perplexing... Julia Roberts ends up in bed with Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah. And, and before that, they hadn't even kissed. I mean... Not, not only that, but they try to set up a... Of lovers, the lovers' triangle, which there's no, there's which absolutely they don't really do. There's no, there's no setup for it. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever because you know the beginning no. of the movie. So it seems like everybody is hitting on Julia Roberts' character, and you, and obviously what comes out is that Nelson has some sort of a jealousy that because David is kind of making inroads with her, but none of it makes any sense. And there's no, there's no assumption of any kind of a deep relationship between any of them. So it, it really. Just, it falls flat. Right. And if any chemistry that she has, it's with her and Kiefer, which makes sense because they dated in real life uh, after filming this or during filming this and yeah. almost got married. So, yeah. I... That's, a, that's a good story in and of itself. But she has like zero chemistry with Kevin Bacon, which that doesn't make any sense. But they don't. I know because any, anybody, anybody should have chemistry with Kevin Bacon. Well, yeah. Or it's hair. Yeah. I mean, Bacon, just those three actors, primarily, and other actors, and then you talk about some story about the afterlife, like, oh, they're going to die, and like, what happens after they die? Okay, I'm in. And this movie sucked, so. (laughs) Joel Schumacher's dead. Sorry, sir. I loved some of your films, but this kills me. Not only is he dead, but he's dead to you. You're dead to me, Schumacher. The main thing with this movie is the awful script. I mean, look, if they had a really good script combined with all of the highly overly stylized stuff from Schumacher, it could have been like a really good movie. Yeah. Maybe. Really bad writing. One point says, uh, Billy Baldwin says, um, I think the first time that they were going to do uh, where Nelson was going to die, right? And they were going to basically be accomplices to potentially murder him, right? He goes, Billy Baldwin says, this is not the type of shit I want on my transcript right yeah awful yeah it's a combo though because you get it's it's also the directing because you get a scene you know again we talked about the steam and blue and red and all that but that scene in that uh, convenience store the direction of that and just those those choices i'm like what the hell is going on they're in the convenience store again no one else is there no one else is around Kevin Bacon, they just revived Kiefer, so he made it. And they're all kind of getting together and talking, like, how's he doing? Is everything okay? If you notice, Kevin Bacon, for some reason, is chugging like a liter of orange juice, and he's got a six-pack of beer. Who the hell is this? What are you drinking? Like, who makes that choice? Do you want a beer or do you want orange juice? I want both, goddammit. He he opens it in the store before paying for it, which I don't think is a good... Well, there's no one in there to take the money, so it's okay. I just think that that's rude. I think that you should actually pay and own your item before you eat or drink it. I just, you know, personal personal, uh, philosophy there. So William Baldwin does ask the question, which is, can you sexually assault somebody with... A dead person's genitalia, right? Because because he's working with Julia, oh, right. he's working with Julia Roberts there, and he and he's sitting there, and he's, he's kind of hitting on her, hitting on her, and then he he pulls up the sheet to uh, show her the dead man's penis. Is that? Do you think that's technically sexual assault? Well, it certainly is um, uh, sexual harassment. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a harassment, not assault. Yeah, harassment is what I was. It depends. I think he could have gotten away with it, but. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably want to switch the lab partners. Aren't you? Ex- yeah, no, you, you're, you're expelled you're, immediately these days. So, yeah. Yeah, probably. Well, first of all, I, don't, I really don't think any medical students would be doing that. <laughs> um, I've been talking about how, what a cool uh, medical school this is, but maybe it's not such a cool medical school because when they have to take the test for uh, anatomy, the professor basically says the last, the people who have the, the four lowest grades are going to get D's and F's. And I'm thinking, well, what if you basically 
ace the test, you're still going to fail? That, that's pretty fucked up. I, I wish they had spent another 15, 20 minutes on the grading system because I, I did not believe that the proper amount of exposition was uh, laid out there. It's very odd. Yeah. But that is, yeah, whatever. I've never been to medical school, so what the hell do I know? There is a moment where they show uh, somebody taking a scalpel and cutting someone's foot, and that's a pretty good scalpel scene. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's good use of uh, foot and scalpel. It's very, it, you know, we're like, Ugh. Uh, at least at least it was for me. No, I yeah, I agree. That was the scariest part of the movie, for sure. As they're uh, watching the dailies on this, who's saying this is working or not working? Like, uh, this is what I don't get. And I'm obviously we're three guys on a podcast talking about the movie and I, I never made a movie. So I don't know. But I just think when things aren't working, like, what do they do? How do, how do they save this movie? I guess is my question to you both. Well, I think the the problem is that they're not looking at the acting or anything like that. They're looking at uh, during the dailies. They're going like, oh, do we have enough blue light? Do we have enough red light? Is there enough steam? Do we need to set another, like, some more, uh, another pile of leaves on fire? We need 25% more steam. Yeah. Joel, got a, just a quick couple notes here. We're making a movie. We have three huge either stars now or about to be huge stars in this movie. It's got a cool subject matter. Couple things I just wanted to say here. You're kind of making a music video. What's going on? Can we go a different direction? And he says, "No, I don't." That's the part I don't get. Yeah, I think I think he's probably I, like, yeah. He's like spikes the football, and that one's like, all right. Like you, you get the vision I'm going for. <laughs> There's an absence of tension overall because they all go through the same process, and each time they have to fight to bring them back, right? Because you know, one time the power goes off when they go under. Another time, you know, someone... There, there is a scene that we should talk about with where Kiefer Sutherland becomes a, just a, a dick in the middle of the procedure. But but that same scene occurs again and again. And you know each time they're coming back. So you're just kind of watching it. Like, there's no... Like, you don't feel... I don't... I, don't, I didn't feel tense. I don't... You know, watching it. I mean, Not I knew it was going to happen. But I, I would imagine that anybody who's watching this movie assumes that they're going to make it back. Like, you don't think someone's going to actually die because they need to come back because they're going to be haunted. So it's just kind of, there's a, there's a complete absence of tension in the movie. Also, every time, yeah, they're like, oh shit, oh shit. They're like basically panicking until at the last minute, you know, the heart starts back up again. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe after the first time you, you chance it and you do it again. But when this happens a second time and even a third time, no, you stop. You yeah. just, you don't do it again. I think it's time to pump the brakes on it. <laughs> well, there's another, I mean, God, there's so many things that don't work. So another thing that I thought of at the first time, and it's Kiefer, his character goes under and it's his, he's the, he's the mastermind behind this whole project. This is his setup and his procedures and everything. They're getting to the same, wherever they are uh, on campus, the same room they get there and he starts talking like they've never talked before about this. What are they all learning about this for the first time? He's telling them, first, give me 50 cc's of this, do that, do that. Wait, you're about to go under in the next two minutes. You, they've never, you guys have never talked about this before? Yeah, they'll just figure it out as they go along. <laughs> yeah, and each time it's the same basic sequence. So it's a, you know, it's, it's laying on a medical bed in this really ornate museum, as Colin was talking about, in terms of, you know, with, with the Gothic architecture all over it. And, and I imagine it's supposed to be symbolic of heaven and hell or the afterlife or whatever. Like that's the, obviously the running, <laughs> it's the running thing through the film. But it, it's just kind of the same thing each time, right? Laying on a bed, you, you know, the, they put a blanket on him to heat him and cool him. And then basically they sit there and hit him with paddles, right? Use, use the charging paddles. And that's, you know, repeat that scene four times and, and that, and then a few things that happen, you know, off to the side and, and there's your movie. Can I buy that blanket? Oh, the heating and cooling, <laughs> that, that's, you know, the, the rapid heating and cooling blanket might actually be pretty cool to have around the house. I was kind of wondering if that was just an invention of the film or something like that actually existed. Dave, I think I can answer your question because what's the color that indicates cold? Well, so it, so it is blue. Uh, yes, the, the colors of the blanket, the electric blanket, are, are exactly mirror the colors in the film. Uh, that did not escape yeah. me. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that? Oh, wow. I never that ties realized. it all together never, for you, huh? That's, I, oh, that's, wow. Yeah. Never mind. I changed my opinion. Wow. What a movie. When they're doing the setup and when you see Billy Baldwin's character, so you see him filming, you know, moments with the woman. He's, he thinks he's doing it clandestinely, but the, the video camera that he has mounted on his ceiling, it looks to be like, you know, almost, it's, it's one step away from the shoulder-mounted VHS one, so it's, it's pretty good size. It's also terrible quality, by the way. Every time they, because they're filming elements of the experiment, 
And every time they're looking through the viewfinder, the quality of the video is pretty crappy. So I think you got to, I think it's a bad camera. But what, what person could not be laying on the bed and look up and just see that there's a camera like taped to the ceiling that's pointed right down at them? They were not the, uh, they were not the most uh, observant women that were entering his apartment. Apparently, the whole the whole thing with Billy Baldwin is just ridiculous. What was his sin that he he slept with a bunch of women? But did did they come and you know, threaten to cut off his pecker? No, nope. no, 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 nothing. They just kept showing up on TV for some reason that like really freaked him out, and he got very anxiety ridden. Oh, and then and then there are several that attempt attempt to have sex with him. You know, personifications of his sin or whatever. I thought actually I liked that scene because it was like. Uh, <laughs> suddenly like he's he's being um he's being harassed sexually harassed yeah. he's being like sexually harassed and i'm thinking like when that first woman starts like hitting on him i'm going dude you're billy baldwin you'd be like oh hey baby yeah like let's go to my apartment <laughs> like there's no way he's gonna be like all uncomfortable i'm one of the baldwins uh yeah i want to screw you uh duh have you seen me um, look at this yeah let's go for it <laughs> But then what, so what's his, what, he doesn't even get a chance to, to atone, right? He just has to pay his penance, which is that his uh, fiance, uh, Hope Davis, breaks up with him. That whole scene is re- totally ridiculous, the breakup speech. She says, you know, it's not that you slept with those girls. It's that you didn't respect them. That's what makes her angry. The worst part is you're going to think I'm leaving you because you slept with all those girls. It was just a stupid adolescent dream. Those women meant nothing to me. I wish they had meant something to you because if you were honest, if you, if you had cared for any of them, then I could have fought that. I loved you, but to film all those girls without them knowing it, to have so little respect. Those women trusted you. And what kind of marriage can we have when you have no understanding of trust? And please. Right. <laughs> what? It ends up being possibly a benefit for him ultimately, right? Because if he was not that excited to be with his fiance anyways, and now he has, you know, he can go back to being the way that he was before, having sex with all these women, keep going in medical school. So I don't know that he, I mean, I think he kind of, his sin from the afterlife actually maybe helped his overall life, I think. <laughs> I don't know. He didn't seem too committed to his fiance. Let me say that. No, no. I No, I think he was. I mean, I think it was that he's just a sex addict. He totally wanted to have the pretty wife. She probably came from a, like a pretty well-to-do family. And he this is, he, this is like sort of the path that he was going to go down. He was going to be a doctor and they were going to get married. And um, no, he can't keep it in his pants. So basically he's a complete douchebag and he stays a douchebag. His end resolution is simply to know that his douchebaggery has caught up with him. But again, my guess is that once they get over this whole situation, you know, he's banging somebody in two days and he's, he's getting through it. He's just not going to set up. He's just not going to videotape this time. By the way, someone that we have not mentioned, I just want to know, can we just cut Oliver Platt out of this film? Does he add anything? I actually liked Oliver Platt in this. I, I thought he had some. I thought he had some funny moments. I liked his. Uh, I liked when he had the line about what would have happened if he had gone under, and the sin that would have come back would have been, you know, his three hundred fifty pound babysitter chasing after him because he stole a half-eaten pastrami sandwich. So no, no, no. I thought I thought he was some some level of comic relief, and I actually like Oliver Platt as an actor. I like Oliver Platt a lot, yeah. but I think it was completely wasted in this film. You knew that he was never going to go under. Yeah. I I agree with both. Yeah. The comic part no, but Oliver Platt as an actor, yes. I think he's I think he's a very good actor. I've yeah. enjoyed him in many things. So yeah. Is his character like what did he what was what was that character's point of view or takeaway? Why is that necessary to have that character there? I don't know. Oh, I don't think you needed. I think what they were just trying to go for uh, five was a better number than four. So they're like, yeah, let's let's throw let's throw one more person. You in need there. you need someone not to go under. Like, I think he's like the voice of reason, but uh, he doesn't do a very good job because he goes like how many times do they go under? Like four times. Yeah. Um, and he participates all four times. So. If he was true to his character, you know, because he's sitting there, he's like writing his own biography, you know, as a young, I guess, highly successful surgeon, which he's not yet, but he's already doing this. And yet he's risking all of that by participating in this ludicrous experiment that would get them all thrown out of medical school. Arrested. If they had medical licenses, they certainly would revoke those. Not to mention you can probably die or you might die. And Not to mention the death part. Right. And they're all on board. 
they're all on board reluctantly but i'm still oh okay put me under for wait the uh they were doing the name the tune game with uh, yeah put me under for two minutes no i'll do 220 no 230 240 damn it you won i know i was like is this an auction or what's going on yeah like uh the, you know you realize that the, the the more time on the clock the uh the greater the chance that you will never wake up again right he sets the record at the end right because he goes under for 12 minutes isn't that what they say yeah, I'm pretty sure you would have been a vegetable. I think so, too. I don't think you're coming back for that. Maybe that would have been a better ending. I can't. Can you see this movie being made today? Oh, shit. Yeah, they remade it a couple of years ago. Do you, do you guys know anything about the remake? No. No. I, I almost bought it by mistake because I just searched flatliners. <laughs> I was like, here we go. Let's go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, look, there's a good chance it would have been better. No, because it got like, I think it was a like a a lower rating on imdb but I, i'm sort of curious i'd forgotten that they had remade this I'm, I'm actually kind of fascinated that they would because i don't i mean this made i think like 62 million it's not like it's not like you bump into people on the street randomly and they're like hey have you seen flatliners <laughs> you know is, is it i mean is it, is it that well known i guess i mean i don't know well I, i'd like to amend my earlier statement at the top of the pod when when you asked me what was my relationship with this movie i had thought about it once during the 30 years i thought about it when i heard that flatliners was being remade mm-hmm. and my reaction was why the fuck would they remake that <laughs> well now i'm dying to know what's well, got ellen page i like ellen page she must take on the Kiefer Sutherland role. Maybe after this, you could do a little, uh, you can check in and see the new version of Flatliners, and then you could do a solo pod comparing the two, comparing yeah, contrast. Yeah, have fun with that one. <laughs> this is, I could just do it, I'll do it right now. Uh, yes, welcome to the Real DMC podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the 2017 version <laughs> of Flatliners. It sucked! Thank you for stopping by. I've been your host, Colin. Telling us, it's uh, that's not, I'm gonna break that off as its own. Uh, we'll launch that as its own podcast. <laughs> that's awesome. Why, wow, what there must be an error here. It's only nine seconds <laughs> and it's uploaded. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I, I do have one last thing, or whatever Bill Simmons Rewatchables calls it. Oh, Nit, picking nits, picking nits, picking nits, picking nits. Does the uh, Kiefer as a boy is throwing uh, the rocks at that boy up in the tree? Yeah. It's the boy, boy, boy falls down. Does, does he die? Does that? Yeah, yeah, he died. Yeah, but. Yeah, that's yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, but. Billy Mahoney died. Would you die? Oh, if he fell out of a tree? I think he's falling through some branches that I think would at least slow his descent a little bit. But, you know, I guess it all depends on how you hit the ground. You know, here's what I think happened. Uh, there was a very large branch that impaled him and therefore he died. Okay. And that's why the dog didn't die. The dog was just injured. Right. Champ. Well done, by the way. Poor. Solid acting from that dog with the limp. That was actually, that was pretty good dog acting that when the dog was crawling along. I, I, yeah, I was sad for him. That's the most emotion I felt the whole movie, I think. I know. That's, that's, I had the same reaction. I'm like, out of, out of every character I've seen here, Champ is the one that, that the most emotional heartstrings there. I was like, oh. I think this is, this is like, a, I think this is a pretty common experience where violent movies, people are getting killed and mowed down and knifed and whatever. And you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then a poor animal gets hurt and you're just like, oh, no. <laughs> like, it's it's worse. It's worse to see the animal. What does that say about us as people, as human beings? Uh, maybe our priorities are in the right place, actually. That we don't care about humans getting <laughs> killed? That's what I'm saying. I mean, I understand <laughs> the emotion around the animals, but yeah. the humans? Like, we, we just want more of it? No, I, I understand what you're saying. Oh, kill, kill some more guys. I don't know. Kiefer Sutherland is, you know, he threw the rock, kid fell out. So his his resolution to this in terms of how he's going to atone is he's, he's basically going to commit suicide. Do you think he, when, do you think when he went, so at the end there's a dramatic moment where he, you know, he runs, goes back to the same building they always go to to do the experiment. He puts himself under. I don't know that he would figure out, I don't know if he could do it by himself, but he finds a way to do it. Do you think he was actually, do you think he wanted to just go have the conversation with Billy Mahoney or do you think he actually was just straight up killing himself at that point? What was his, what was his intent there? And, and the thing is, he stops and he makes a call to Rachel and he basically, you know, in, he kind of indicates or, or leaves it open that he might be doing this. So he's kind of leaving some breadcrumbs for them to potentially come save him. So do you think that that's what he was trying to do or do you think he was just straight up going for suicide? Jamie? I took it as straight up suicide, but, you know, I'm the one who figures out the movie last usually. So I don't know if she should be asking me, you know, usually at the end of the movies, Yurda has to explain what happened. So, you know. What was your take, Colin? 
I don't know. If he was going to, to, you know, have some sort of confrontation with Billy Mahoney, you know, all he had to do was like go into his apartment and fall asleep and he would have seen, he could have confronted Billy Mahoney. Right. Just... Uh, yeah. I think he was like sort of at his wits end and, and decided that either that he was, he got addicted to going under. I don't really know that the movie doesn't make sense. If you're a nine-year-old kid and uh, you know you you cause this accident, you have to pay for it with your life. Isn't that, isn't that a pretty harsh tax to pay if you do something stupid as a nine-year-old kid? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a little extreme, right? Absolutely. And yeah. it's a little extreme as a point of comparison to every, whatever other character experiences. <laughs> so maybe the, do you think they were just punishing Kiefer Sutherland because he's the one that got this whole thing rolling? Is that what's happening? Is uh is is karma coming down on him a lot harder because? He's the one who really wanted to play God in the first place. Is that what this is? Could be. I mean, he is the biggest dick. I mean, Billy Baldwin is just sort of like a douche, but uh, Nelson's an arrogant prick. Yeah, maybe. Well, so one other question on the on the Nelson front. So when when David goes under and he's going through his experience, that's Kevin Bacon's character. Nelson all of a sudden starts fucking around when they're supposed to bring David back. He starts ex- you know extending the time and saying. Oh, maybe we should maybe we should wait a few seconds. He's just kind of playing with everybody. What was your read on that scene? Like, why was he acting that way at that moment? Because was it because partially he was hoping that maybe he would die because he's jealous of the love triangle? I mean, it, it seemed like a very strange pivot for his character in that moment. I took it as a downward spiral of where he was at in his head after he had gone under. But you know, it's a good question. I don't know if anyone has that answer. No, I agree. I, I think it just sort of showed his erratic behavior. Deteriorating mindset? Yeah. Yeah, because that is one thing that does happen is so when Billy Mahoney shows up over the course of the movie, first he just punches him, like just beats the shit out of him with his bare hands. <laughs> then he takes, then he then he goes after him with a hockey stick. The one thing you do see at one point is Kiefer Sutherland sewing up his face a la Dalton in Roadhouse. Dalton just does it with, he's a man and there is no pain. Kiefer Sutherland, you know, he's he's having a little bit more of a difficult time doing it. He's He's, he's no Dalton. I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. He is no Dalton. <laughs> he is no Dalton. Yeah, it's. I mean that that just goes to show uh, Nelson's character. He's uh, he's so arrogant that he thinks, well, I don't need to go to the hospital. I'll just sew my own face up. Got news for you, buddy. You're gonna have a really vicious scar for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> going back to when Nelson puts himself under at, at the end, I don't think that there's any way he could have done this himself. There's there is no way because he's he like puts the cold blanket on and he shoots himself up with like potassium and and or maybe that's what it was but i was thinking every time they do this they got to get your heart to stop and they use the paddles to do it right maybe i think they threw in a line there like oh he used potassium and maybe that's what it was that stopped his heart if they did that i think there's probably a really good chance that He's never going to, they're never going to get his heart started again because he used all this potassium. Right. Either that or as soon as he shoots himself up, he's going to not be able to put on the mask too. Right. It just, it it didn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about the resolution for David. So his character, so Kevin Bacon's character goes and tracks down Winnie, the girl he used to taunt when he was in, was it fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that. And he apologizes to her. I, I don't know if that scene works or not. I mean, it's kind of kind of nice, I guess, in a way. It's also super cliche. So I, I don't really... You guys have any thoughts on that scene? My only thought is I thought she was pretty good. I know I've seen her in some other things. Clear! Um, yeah, she's um, she's one night from uh, The Abyss. Clear! Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's... She was very recognizable. Yeah, just add it to the list of things that... Although I will say about that scene when uh, David is sort of hiding out or waiting in the in the truck, uh, sorry, Nelson, while David is in talking with Winnie, the the camera stalking the truck, I just thought was like totally ridiculous. It wasn't just like, a, you know, close to the ground to the truck once. It was like, it was just going all around the truck. It was like a, it was like a slasher movie, basically. Yeah. For- It was sort of like, I, I was like, wait, is this the Evil Dead? Um, <laughs> did we just switch over? Is Sam Raimi now directing? <laughs> Maybe it was Chucky instead of the other kid. Yeah. It would have been a better film if it was Chucky. I mean, I, Billy Mahoney's not really that scary. 
he's not that scary, but he's an ass kicker. I mean, the, he, he, the kid came to play. He's not messing around. That's true. He's no bird turd limp dick, that's for sure. <laughs> I think the only other thing that I noticed that I thought was strange is that on the window or on the wall outside of where David is rappelling down, there's a series of posters that say sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And when you go to William Baldwin's apartment, those same posters are in there. Uh, why? <laughs> I just thought that was a very strange Sub- I mean, subliminal messaging. You think Don't so? you get yeah. it? Don't you get it, Dave? Don't you get it? I suddenly want to have sex, uh, want to do some drugs, and want to listen to some rock and roll. So after watching this movie, maybe maybe it worked. I don't know. Okay, well, I don't think I have anything else I personally want to say the about this movie. The expression on your face says it all. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, again, I think I, of the three of us, I probably like this movie the best. It, I mean, it was it was interesting. It was kind of fun to go back and rewatch it. I think it's more sort of the kind of the nostalgic kind of time capsule of seeing these actors at that age. You know, these are actors I like. I like most of these actors. Julia Roberts is probably well, not not counting William Baldwin. I just, all, you know, just put him aside. But probably I would go you know Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sutherland, and Oliver Platt as the three that I really like. I'm not a huge Julia Roberts fan, never really have been, so it's fun to see them in you know, their young days. And the other thing is that Kevin Bacon is rocking that same Tremors hair, so you get to see that same great hair in, in two movies, and it's just, I think the main takeaway from this movie is that Kevin Bacon's hair when he was 26, because that's how old I think it was when we filmed this movie, it's just fantastic. He's just rocking the hair. It's great hair. <laughs> have to agree with you there. How about you guys? Any closing thoughts for Flatliners? Something I forgot to mention earlier, which was, so this is filmed in Chicago. And this is dirty Chicago during our Vampire's Kiss pod. Jamie, you, you said you loved dirty 80s New York. And I'm going to say I loved the dirty 1990 Chicago. The only difference is the gritty, dirty 1980s New York was believable because there was other people in the city. That's true. <laughs> it was really a ghost town, this Chicago, this version of Chicago. By the way, Chicago is a beautiful city, and I love it in its current clean state. Um, but, I, but I did. I was wondering, like, where were the caretakers? I'm envisioning this like, you're, oh, dirty Chicago. <laughs> oh, I love you, dirty Chicago. <laughs> Uh, I think that's the name of a, a, a particular style of hot dog in Chicago. That's the Dirty Chicago. <laughs> and it's not a sexual move? No. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. All right. I love them both, though. Val Kilmer was apparently offered the role that uh, went to Kiefer Sutherland. Did I mention that earlier? Oh, man, that would have been awesome. But then you have Val Kilmer hair going up against Kevin Bacon hair, like right at the same time. And, you know, Val Kilmer had some pretty good, pretty strong hair at the time as well. So I guess Nicole Kidman was considered for the Julia Roberts role. I guess they went with someone with a little darker hair. It's all about the hair. It's just it's basically just the hair. I, I don't think the problem was the acting. So no, 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 definitely not. No, it's, I mean, it's the material. I think they all do a decent job with what they're given to do. I, I don't think there's a bad performances. I think it's just, I mean, maybe William Baldwin. I don't know. He just seems pretty one note. Bill, yeah, Billy had a couple moments where I was like, yeah, eh, yeah he's good looking. Okay. There are a couple moments of, uh, of truly fantastic dialogue. Like, was it Billy Baldwin when he's talking to, like his opening line in terms of talking to Julia Roberts is, it's like, oh, I heard a reputation. He said, he said I don't think you're the least bit frigid or repressed. Like, that's your opening line to try to get a date with somebody? It's an interesting choice. The man is feeling it. He's he's totally feeling it. And then I think Oliver Platt, during the first test, at one moment, in a moment of panic, he yells, suck me, to uh, William Baldwin. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, I yeah, do, I do yeah. remember that, yeah. It seemed, a little, it seemed a little out of character, a little, little bit of a strange moment. Again, what was Oliver Platt's character doing in this movie? I don't know. Sh- uh, Steckel, right? Steckel? Light comic relief, but uh, apparently a lot of it didn't land. Yeah. No. And then did we mention that Rachel ends up wrapping up her scene by, you know, hugging it out with her dad? All is good there. And she ends up getting closure. So actually this whole process, Kira Sutherland gets his ass kicked, you know, but I guess ends up, you know, dealing with the guilt or whatever. But again, Julia Roberts walks away. Great time. It was like, it was a super positive activity for her. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah. She, uh, yeah, she'll be okay. I think Kevin Bacon will be okay too. And, you know, Billy Baldwin's going to be up there just taking care of business. No problems there. Everybody comes out ahead except for Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, Kiefer's going to have brain damage, but yeah. <laughs> no more no more med school for Kiefer. No, 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 no. 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 <laughs> All of a sudden, you're reading at a third grade level. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we should wrap it up. All right. Wrap it up, dead man's penis. Okay. Well, this is... <laughs> 
All right. Well, uh, uh, hope you enjoyed our conversation about the movie Flatliners and Kevin Bacon's hair. Mostly it was about Kevin Bacon's hair. I think that uh, if you are looking for a movie that combines the best elements of maybe the range of darker blues to light blues, uh, brighter oranges to even the red palettes and steam, this is the movie for you. Otherwise, I'm not sure that we're making a significant recommendation here. I liked it better than Colin and Jamie did. Otherwise, I think we could just say... This is The Real DMC Podcast, signing off. And we'll be back with, I think, another movie from 1990 or The Year in Review, or as usual, we don't know, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> as usual, it's just chaos over here. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Uh... It suffered from having Billy Baldwin in it. I think every movie I've seen with Billy Baldwin he sort of sucks the air out of the room. Mm, no? There's one. Well, oh. uh, backdraft title. Well, that's what literally sucks the air out of the room. Ooh. You're so much <laughs> smarter than I am. <laughs>